0: what helped me a lot in my path of just self-help as silly and like blanket as that is i realized that things are temporary like even mm. the most blissful euphoric feelings like those are temporary because someone will knock me into something else into another realm and then the deep dark despair realms those are temporary too yeah. and i think that that really helped me because it almost felt like when i was In my euphoric space, that I wanted it to last forever, and then when I was in my deep dark despair space, like the more I fought it, the more it would, like, continue, and Mm. I would feel suffocated by it, like almost like, how come I can't get to that euphoric place? Because that's where I want to be forever, and I'm stuck down here in this deep dark dwelling, and it's embarrassing, and it's, uh, I'm ashamed of it, and. Um, it's ugly and I feel that people can tell and sense and know that I don't have it together. And the more that I would just like unravel on myself, I would just like be in it. And so I also had to like teach myself to do the counterintuitive thing, which is like to get out, to change my scenery, to go talk to somebody, to do the thing that seems like, oh my gosh, that's like the last thing I want to do. I like realized that if I did it, that little critic in my mind, would like dissipate Mm -hmm. like the moment I started.
1: Welcome to the Wellness Plus podcast featuring interviews with health and wellness professionals empowering you to take control of your health and happiness. Feel better, look better, and live better today by subscribing right now for new episodes every week. The Wellness Plus Podcast is brought to you by wellnessplus.tv and made possible by the generous donations of Psyche Truth Patreon supporters. Now here's your host, Certified Holistic Health Coach, Karina Rachel.
2: Hello and welcome to the Wellness Plus Podcast. I'm your host, Karina Rachel, and I'm joined today by Julia Bennett. Thank you so much for being here, Julia.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
2: So you've been a yoga teacher for many years now, and one of the things that you mentioned to me in our very first shoot, um, you said, man, if I had only known this when I started doing yoga, and I thought that would be a great topic for the Wellness Plus podcast.
0: (laughs) I agree. And yeah, there are quite a few things that I wish that I had known before I started my yoga journey. I think I can formulate five on the spot. Okay. One of them would be the instructor, if anything like myself, is probably just as nervous and and cautious as you are. <laughs> because I think that it's a two-way street. They're trying to understand you and your needs, and they're trying to provide that as much as trying to observe any type of things that might be going on with you that they could help or assist with. So... It's, it's a lot, I think, to go to be a student, but I think it's a lot to go and be an instructor, too. So mm-hmm. not coming in thinking that, you know, anyone's going to judge you for mm. your flexibility or, or anything like that or presence because that just is more about them than it is about you. And the second thing would be to not worry about flexibility and presence because that will all come, I think, when you least expect it or when you're not <laughs> so focused on it mm-hmm. because I know that it's, it's like one of those things when I'm not worried about worrying that I'm, that I stop worrying. Like when I, when I breathe, you know, I, everything kind of happens the way it's supposed to. Right. So it's just like kind of leaving the anxiety and the, the worry at the door is like a good thing to think about.
2: Yeah. And I think that so many Um, I mean, I know for myself, you know, walking into a yoga class, you do, you kind of have that feeling like, oh, well, here's this instructor. She, you know, is perfectly comfortable and confident and whatever. And I think that, you know, a lot of yoga instructors are, a lot of teachers, whatever they're teaching, you know, there is that element of confidence. But I think it's really interesting for you to just kind of say like, hey, you know, yoga teachers feel nervous too. Mm -hmm. And when you walk into that class and you're feeling nervous, don't feel alone because other people that are coming to the class are probably nervous, but even the yoga instructor herself or himself is probably also, like, feeling a certain amount of, like, fearfulness or nervousness. So just, like, knowing that you're not alone in those feelings, and the whole point of you being there is to help you work through that fear a little bit and get past it enough to do something that's really beneficial for your mind and your body.
0: Yes, and that's so well put because I've spoken to so many instructors, and it's either that they have a a flow that they really want to stick to or that they want to be flexible and mobile to whatever the needs of the students are or maybe they didn't have time to do their playlist or maybe they're running from rush hour traffic like there's always like something that you know that maybe that they're playing in their mind of like mm-hmm. what? how am I not being Zen enough for this person or whatnot? and from the newness of a new student there's like two things that I would definitely iterate about like the advantage that you have number one i would say that it's really about the instructor so like not thinking that oh i i don't like yoga because i didn't like that flow well okay maybe try another instructor at a different time mm. or a different style or i don't like yoga as a blanket statement because i didn't like the instructor well then like you know it's like it's kind of um Finding like and I I have a lot of analogies of yoga to cooking. So like finding the style of cooking that you like because mm-hmm. in every style of cooking they have elements that are the same, but it's just about how they're combined that really make mm. a difference. So I would say that's like number one as a new student of how you have the advantage. And then number two, it's like really I know that a lot of instructors say this, but to take it at your own pace because mm. that in itself takes bravery because. When you come, I, f- I feel like there's, like, this pressure to do everything at the speed and at the style and at the level of everyone else around you. And and I think that, like, there have been many classes that I have just fallen asleep in child's pose while people are up and doing their warriors. And and I'm not trying to be defiant to the teacher, but I think that if the teacher observes you taking care of your body and your needs, I think that's, like, the biggest compliment because mm-hmm. they're not forcing you into any one pose or any style right so um those are the two advantages but I think were we like on number three of like the five tips well I
2: kind of wanted to back up a little bit to like how you became interested in yoga in the first place because seeing your videos and just knowing you as Mm. this like really sweet loving person I feel like you are just uh really the embodiment Of yoga in a lot of ways, Um, but I think it'd be interesting to kind of hear, well, how did you stumble upon yoga in the first place?
0: I stumbled upon yoga from being injured, actually. So I feel like that is a very abrupt way to get introduced to yoga. I went to actually hot yoga or a Bikram style class. Mm-hmm. And so giving you some background about context of my like upbringing, I was always really competitive. I had an older brother. I played soccer my whole life. And so when I tore my ACL in college, my instinct was I'm not going to go sit on a mat and have a WUSA like sound bowl or meditative practice. I am not into that. Like that is the farthest thing that like would probably trigger so much anxiety. Uh, and so I went into Bikram. And Bikram is uh, a 98, maybe even higher degree room, but the heat, and they only do 26 or 24 postures. I can't recall, but they're all the same. So every Bikram class that you go to will be the same no matter where you take it in any place of the country. Wow. There is some level of peace with that, like knowing what you're getting into, mm-hmm. and you allow that consistency structure to be the blank slate in which you can evaluate kind of like how you're doing i found it to be very competitive and very aggressive and in yoga teaching they talk to you about the doshas and doshas are your elemental energy whether it be fiery whether it be fluid like water whether it be an air sign and so if you think about igniting fire upon those elements it's just like what the reaction would be and for me, it just bred a lot of, like, burning out. So, like, literally, <laughs> I felt burnt out a lot. I'd go, and I'd feel, like, this super high. Like, oh, my gosh. I feel like my body is, like, like made out of, like, rubber bands. This is amazing. And then I'd, like, be like, I don't want to go to work the next day. Which became, yes. like, kind of problematic. Like, so my adrenals were definitely affected. So, then... I took a little break from that and started doing vinyasa, which is a lot more up to the instructor's creativity. They go through probably 60 or 80% standing floor series and then 30%, 40% anywhere. Like, it could be 50-50. depends on how the teacher wants to teach it. But generally, Mm -hmm. you have the standing series where you're up on your legs and then the floor series where you're on your back or on your stomach. And, you know, I really found that to be creatively fulfilling doing it because I never felt like one class was ever the same. Yeah. But then I also felt that it was like everybody was, they came to the mat at their own level. A little bit different than Bikram. And so I really enjoyed doing vinyasas. I found... That I really love restorative. So, that one thought of me never wanting to sit on a mat and meditate is actually the thing that I needed the most, which mm. I applied to my yoga teaching a lot. Usually, the thing that we detest is something A, we're becoming and not happy with it, or it's something that we need. Wow. So, um, yes. And now, my favorite classes to teach are more of the yin where it's 80% on your back, maybe a little bit when you're sitting up. Um, and the restorative practices where it's on average five to eight poses, maybe even less. And you're just letting your fascic tissue have some space and time.
2: So, wow. Yeah. I think you touched on something really, really important in there that oftentimes the thing that we feel resistance to or fear of, or we just think, oh, I would never want to sit down and listen to a singing bowl and, and focus on my breathing for 20 minutes or an hour. Oftentimes, those end up being the things that like, if we are to do them and come out of our comfort zone a little bit, come out of our head a little bit of the things that we like thought we wanted or whatever, and then you actually can find that you know, wow, maybe that's just what I needed mm-hmm. um, from the perspective that, you know, our, you know, our, our fears, our apprehensions about things. Um, I mean, they just prevent us from discovering, you know, so many wonderful things that could result. So to take your little cooking analogy as an example, you know, if somebody were to go to a certain restaurant, um, you know, maybe it's like Ethiopian food and they eat the food. They're like, oh, God, this is terrible. I can't stand the flavors. You know what? I hate food. (laughs) I hate food. Well, how ridiculous is it to be like, well, no, I'm never going to eat food again because I had this one experience with one type of food I didn't like, you know? um, So you could take that in so many different directions. Like, well, what if you just tried a different dish? Mm -hmm. What if you just tried a different chef? Who maybe cooks a little differently or doesn't use as much of this spice or that spice, much less what if you tried, you know, Thai food or, you know, there's just so many different flavor profiles that you can start to investigate. Um, So, yeah, that's something that I think about a lot when I hear someone say, oh, yeah, I don't like yoga. I'm like, how much yoga have you really done? Like you don't like what you've heard about it or you don't like what this one person seems like or whatever, or this certain stereotype of yogis or whatever, you know, everybody just kind of gets really stuck in their head and their little um, presumptions or, you know, preconceived notions they have about things. And then they limit themselves on all these possibilities of things that can really, you know, bring them so much happiness. I think it's really interesting to hear you say that. Again, because you uh, really do embody that, like, calm, open-hearted, just, like, super sweet, you know, yoga person, yoga teacher. But it's kind of funny that initially you were, like, coming from kind of a very different, like, athletic, sports, competitive, you know, kind of, like, high-intensity you know, so to speak. Um, and you were even like looking at that type of yoga person that I would kind of say you are now, just like really calm and in control of your emotions. And you just seem so um, peaceful. It's really interesting for me to hear you say that, well, there was a time in your life when you looked at that and you were like, oh, I don't want that at all,
0: you know? <laughs> yeah, and I would say that um, it's, it's taken a long time I'm definitely i've evolved a lot i think that it i think that i have to attribute it to the power of communication really mm. and it, so that touches on that point when you're like people that just say i don't like yoga when they say that to me it's i have all those questions too but i often think that they think that when they say that that people know what they mean Mm. And it's like, then that's an opportunity for me to kind of like dig a little bit more, being like, well, what about it exactly? And maybe they could say, well, I find it to be as dogmatic as religion, and I don't like religion, and I don't like this. And so that gets into, like, much deeper topics, right? Right. And then it's also very fascinating and kind of humorous to me because I – I think for a long time, I felt there was an undercurrent of competition underneath me. And so I'd like put on this really big front of being Zen and kind, but like along the way of my efforts of trying to do that, I think that like the competition edge has kind of just like slowly drifted off. And like, I still play soccer on the weekends and then I can like still like feed that need, but it's Mm -hmm. not like it's this ever present thing. And I think then that's a testament of yoga, too, that, like, if you just devote time and energy to something, it becomes, like, a muscle muscle memory, and it becomes, like, a habit that whether, like, you can devote the same amount of time for a bad habit as a good habit. And so if it's going to be a good habit, like, I, I'm, like, surprised that that's what I'm emitting because, like, I've always felt that, like, people, they can feel that I'm stressed or they can feel that I'm, like, competitive, you know, and so it's, like, it's a very interesting thing to get a mirror back because I feel that way about you too. Like you come across <laughs> when you're introducing things and I'm like, God, you should be an anchor, Karina. Like you're like, thank you now, you know? And I'm like, whoa. And like when people see me like teach, sometimes I'm like, I wonder if they see this like very like robotic person that can, can like conduct a room. And if some people might think that's good, some people might want me to be like more approachable, like a friend would. And it just back to like lesson number one it's hard to be a yoga instructor to know a yourself of what you want to need and know how flexible and mobile and ever-changing it is and to see like oh I have like 20 students in my class and they all feel those things like which one of them am I going to tailor to like and is that favoritism of those things and then I was like okay no gotta do it I need to do mm-hmm. t- for the class and and if they have feedback for me then they will provide it but I can't automatically assume that you know all these people are feeling a certain way and so that's I think another important process of checking in uh, a lot of new students they don't know like what to expect when they come in but I mm-hmm. really like to introduce my classes with a check in of like how are we feeling if you would like to associate a number to your emotions from one being I just woke up to, to, to 10 being like I just ran a marathon and notice how those could be interchanged like mm. some people feel high from like running a marathon some people might feel like no that's my one and then like some people wake up feeling like I'm the most energetic I've ever been all day and so it's like I just try to tell them like hey I, I'm just trying to get a gauge in on my class for an overall mean or median of how everyone's feeling so yeah I, I mean that's like, All those things that you were talking about, I'm like, that's very fascinating to me. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So what would be, uh, we talked about, I think, the first two things, Mm -hmm. right? What would be the third thing you wish you knew? And it doesn't have to just be related to going to yoga class Mm -hmm. because we have a lot of, you know, our followers that are doing the yoga videos at home. And I think that's a really great, you know, safe place for people to approach something that's new because I think it's important to recognize that no matter what we're talking about, be it a different type of exotic cuisine or a new type of fitness or a new type of whatever. And you know, we're always going to have fear mm-hmm. around doing something new mm-hmm. and doing something that we've never done before. Mm-hmm. So I love that we're able to provide people an entry to learning yoga and creating a yoga practice um, without them necessarily having to go to a studio or go into that, like, physical new environment. Mm -hmm. You can take something that's new and challenging Mm -hmm. and a little bit scary, but at least do it in the comfort of your home. Um,
0: Sure. I think that it goes back to what I tell all my students is that everybody has a different learning style. So everybody learns differently. Sometimes it might overlap, but some people need to see someone doing it, demoing it in front of them. That's Mm -hmm. why I love the videos that we're able to produce because we're able to show people visually, like these are the suggestive ways in which the poses are done. These are Mm -hmm. how they're constructed. This is the anatomy in which it targets. And then from another perspective, like if that triggers something where you feel like you have to look a certain way or wear a certain thing and you just want yoga, you could, I invite you to even like turn off any visual aid and just listen to how the instructor is guiding. Uh, Because I used to think that yoga had to look a certain way and it doesn't. Yoga is how it makes you feel after or while you're doing it. Mm. So that would be like my number three most important tip really. Um, Because you're absolutely right. Yoga doesn't have to happen in a studio. It doesn't have to happen anywhere other than where you feel comfortable doing it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, making it easy for you so that when you can carve out time pockets in your day that you're like, I know that I'm going to be doing yoga in my living room at this time, making that space as like abundant and luxurious as possible, making it as comfortable for you Mm -hmm. so that you really don't have anything that is taking you away from that space. And then from like a life coach perspective, I was watching this video that said, your passions really sometimes lie in the place that we procrastinate. And so I, I, I know that if I want to procrastinate, I'm going to go do it on my mat. Like, and, and I have shifted the perspective of procrastination being this terrible thing. Oh my gosh, we're a society of productivity and like efficiency and effectiveness. And I know that like, Hey, if I want to procrastinate a project, then I need to go on to my mat and just like kind of let go of, this need for it to be something that it's not because it's exhausting forcing it into something mm-hmm. and just be there so that could be another application for our folks at home too you know because that's that's when I counterintuitively need it the most when I want to procrastinate so I go and I do yoga yeah
1: The podcast you are listening to was brought to you by wellnessplus.tv, a subscription service empowering you with everything you need to take control of your health and happiness. Sign up for your free trial today to watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. Plus, you'll gain access to our extensive library, including hundreds of follow-along yoga and fitness courses, massage therapy tutorials, weight loss information, guided meditations, educational health videos, and so much more. Feel better, look better, and live better today you know, by We've visiting talked a lot Wellness about how we kind of TV. fixate
2: in our mind on our expectations of things. Like yoga is for this or for that or whatever. And I think what I started noticing is that it just helps me feel more like present in the moment. And I started realizing that you know, so much of what I'm um, I'm worrying about or I'm um, fixating on throughout my day that's like bringing up these feelings of stress or anxiety or frustration um, is worrying about the past or worrying about the future. You know, and I and I just kind of started realizing that man, when I'm doing this like physical movement. And it's requiring a lot of concentration on like where my foot is placed and how I'm balancing my weight or how I'm, you know, there's just all these like great little um, physical nuances. And then by really trying to bring myself into my body and noticing all of these things and noticing these new sensations, suddenly I'm just on my mat and I'm not thinking about <laughs> tomorrow or yesterday or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, you know, is kind of this uh, bringing our awareness into the present moment rather than being fixated on all of these other things that get really overwhelming mm-hmm. when you're trying to worry about them all at once. Right. Um, one of the things that you had said, I think it was in one of the videos that we filmed, which you talked about um, yoga is... Uh, like the physical expressions of our emotional energy Mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, so I think that the body is, in in yoga, and I truly believe that the yoga holds on energy in a way that we, our brains can't cognitively understand. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's like something The simple that I give the example is because I tore my right knee ACL, I tend to lean to my left hip, which can throw off my back and it can throw off my right shoulder. And so it's like we kind of zigzag our way up from self-protective tendencies. And mm. our body also holds energy in a way that we hold stress in different places. And I think that people know that like sometimes they're really tight in their hips because all they do is they sit and stand and they don't get any mobility or range of motion laterally or in their shoulders like people can hunch and then they can protect their heart space so it's like Mm. they're not really breathing that much like you can feel a constriction in your lungs when you're like i'm just sinking here but then when you're like open up you can feel that there's like an energy that can be released Mm. through it and so yoga is just literally stretching and finding flexibility and mobility in those muscles those joints those tissues so that really you can flush everything out
3: Mm -hmm. and
0: I, i think it's really important I mean, you don't have to follow a certain path or script or uh, a style. Like, even just being in your chair at work and you just, like, getting a nice little crick over on the lower back of the lumbar, like, you get having that awareness and that knowledge. Mm. And, I mean, I would definitely say, people, you're doing yoga, even if you don't expect it, if you're like, oh, I'm just, like, cracking this neck or letting this have a little bit of some tension release, you know what you're doing. And I think Mm. that would be my other big tip of, like, before I started, is that I I had all of the knowledge that I thought that I needed to obtain outside of myself, inside myself, Mm. because I started listening to my body. And you can't escape your body. Like, you can if you're, like, tripping or if you're, like, you know, doing something, (laughs) like, way outside of, like like maybe zoning out, you can escape your body, but like yoga just teaches you to connect with the body. And so if you need to stretch, if you need to move your legs or your arms or your torso in a certain way, then do it. So it's like trusting yourself because yeah. I think everybody has that hesitation of doing yoga because they think I don't know enough or I um, like don't know the history Uh, I don't know all these things, but the why needs to be because your body wants to, you know, and everybody's body wants, I believe, to be moved because when you move, you feel freedom. And I think that it's innate in humans to feel free Mm. and to not feel limited by their body. And so if you listen to your body, then you're giving your body actually what it needs. And then that can aid into pain relief and to weight loss and to all these things, which is like feeding the body back to allowing it to
2: be free. Yeah, so it's like a little bit of a which came first, the chicken or the egg scenario, you yes. know? Um, but just this whole idea that we, um, I love what you said. I ended up finding what I thought I was looking for outside of myself, yeah. was like really inside of myself. I wasn't, I just wasn't really listening. I wasn't paying attention. Um, And you're so right. You know, you can take an example, like just bringing your attention to your posture. Mm -hmm. You know, that was a big thing for me. And I kind of had the same experience as you, where I started noticing that I would always shift my weight on one side of my body. And then it was like creating these things. And just in this practice of like, okay, I'm going to try to stand with better posture and I'm going to try to, you know, have my weight evenly on both feet rather than always like, you know, putting my weight all in one hip Mm -hmm. and just by starting to have that awareness and starting to notice it. And then I would start noticing things like, wow, actually I have less, you know, low back pain on this side now, or, you know, wow, I actually feel more confident Mm -hmm. and powerful when I stand up straight and when I'm not slouched over or whatever Mm -hmm. you just by, you know, kind of the, you know, awareness, bringing awareness of our bodies and then listening to the things it's trying to tell us, like, hey, your legs are are really tight. You know, after I've been sitting all day, I'll get home. And, yeah, it's like I can feel my body screaming at me mm-hmm. to, hey, stretch your legs out or do this or do a yoga pose. And you just start realizing how much, you know, up until that point, I was going through my whole life never paying attention mm-hmm. to these things that my body was trying to tell me. And, um, yeah, we just kind of – Uh, I think, you know, definitely in the West, we kind of have a, like, separation between our physical body and our emotions, Mm -hmm. and it kind of perpetuates that we have all this physical tension that builds up, and we have all this emotional tension that builds up, and then everyone's, like, scrambling around trying to, you know, like, manage those things, Mm -hmm. and then you end up realizing that, oh, hey, if you recognize that your physical stress and your emotional stress are actually related or maybe even one and the same. Mm-hmm. You can actually start to address ways that you work through that, you know? And I think certainly, you know, through yoga or if you know, it's just you were, you know like you were saying earlier, just stretching or, you know, you feel like, man, it would feel really good to like twist. There I go. I yeah. got like a couple like <laughs> good little adjustments right there just twisting my back in my chair. Yes. Um, you know, so it's just interesting and I think that there you do start to realize how emotionally you do feel better after you stretch or after you, you know, do a workout or something. And you start to just recognize that, well, I mean, there is this link between our physical stress and our emotional stress and a way to, to address both, you know, through mindfulness type things like breathing deeply and just trying to relax um, or physical things like Doing yoga, or you know, martial arts, or whatever your physical movement of choice might happen to be.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, you said like a few things, and it just got my wheels going. There's one thing that I would definitely highlight is soreness, and then you also mentioned the Eastern versus Western, or the Western like mentality, and. I guess I'll dive into that one um the western civilization approaches yoga I think in a way there are like three different ways that we approach yoga there are like the knowledge seekers that just want to do all the research associated to it they want to know how it originated they're very interested almost like historians of yoga then you have people that love yoga for the physical nature of it like there's all these different types of styles that are like emerging now like there's like this yoga and it's like b-u-t-i and it's like dance yoga and then there's like goat yoga there's like all all these like all these different things and like i think like yes as long as like like the the pathway to the to the like the space of um, enlightenment or like balance is all going to be the same it doesn't really matter how you get there but Mm -hmm. the western is very much like um so where's the demand coming from? Are we supplying the demand or is the supply what we need to supply and the demand will come later? Like, like goat yoga is like really trendy. Like a lot of the yogas are like very trend based because then at least people are starting off in the cuisine. That's like cooking. The Eastern yoga is very much more of like master the mind and the emotion first and then the body will follow. So it's like that mm. chicken or egg thing that you were saying. So it's like they really are proponents of sitting with oneself for a while and that's like where the buddhist monks and all these other religions i think derive from or yoga derive from them of being able to like sit with oneself and center and then from that then moving the body because then once you've mastered the mind and the emotions are cleared that out you can really observe in a much more oppressive way so, I mean, that's really interesting to me. And then, like, the soreness aspect, like, whenever I think about it, doing anything new, I used to have a really kind of negative association to soreness. Like, oh, my gosh, I have overworked my body. Uh, I, like, like it doesn't feel good. I feel mm. stiff. On my, I almost feel worse than the way I did before. And now like i think it's like i've supplemented soreness from other like kind of vices like you know i i actually prefer to wake up and because i know that when i'm sore that means i move my body Mm -hmm. and that i've gained some muscle memory to something and that like plays on a huge topic of like how do olympians get to where they are you know from figure skating or gymnastics or running and it's not like they are where they are because they started yesterday like they built up all this mm-hmm. like lineage of muscle memory and so it's like when you start something not being dissuaded i think from oh my gosh my body d- does not like that in fact maybe the body might be like thanking you because right. it's building something that hasn't been there before so i mean just like shifting those little yeah those little thoughts
2: and i and i love what you're you know, what you're kind of alluding to, which is that, um, you know, you take something that exists in the physical universe, which is your muscles feeling sore Mm -hmm. after they've been worked out too hard. Right. And then you, you know, recognize like your emotions and your feelings about that thing that exists in the physical universe. And you're like, man, I see soreness as like, oh, it feels horrible and it hurts and it's unpleasant. And this idea that like, well, what if you shifted, just shift your perspective, you're not changing the soreness, you're not changing the muscles, but now you're going to see it as, hey, you know what? I've created change for my body. Mm -hmm. When I'm feeling sore, that's my body's way of saying like, hey, I'm recovering. I'm building up new muscles. You know, I'm getting stronger. Mm -hmm. And from that perspective, you start to see that, you know, even the soreness, or the pain, or whatever, is actually like your body uh, working towards improvement, working towards getting stronger and healing, and maybe now you can like not feel as you know dismayed by the soreness or whatever. Right. I or think deserved. there's, yeah. I think there's a big um, kind of underlying theme of. Uh, Like, especially in the realm of weight loss. You know, people think of themselves as, like, combative with Mm -hmm. their body. It's like the battle of the bulge, Mm -hmm. right? The fight to lose weight. It's like this constant, like, mentally people feel like they're fighting against their bodies. And I'm just kind of... um, like, as a holistic health coach and working with people and seeing, like, how much frustration and sadness, like, kind of comes from that. And then, like, people feel guilty if they miss their workout and they feel shame about their bodies or whatever. And I just try to, you know, remind them that, you know, if you can just change that one simple thing, which is, like, mentally, how are you approaching this? Mm-hmm. And asking this question, well, how do I support my body mm-hmm to give it what it needs to be able to do these things I know it can do. It can get healthy. It can get strong. It can burn that unwanted body weight or whatever that we know is you know, not about just an aesthetic thing, but health-wise, if we can support our body to burn off that extra weight, we're going to be healthier. We're going to feel better. Or we're going to be stronger, have more energy. There's kind of like this domino effect that comes. um, But I think that at the root of that is just encouraging people to not feel like they're working against themselves Mm -hmm. and ask this question, like, how do I support my body Mm -hmm. and embrace my body? So going back to the soreness thing, you're like, oh man, I'm feeling really sore, but it's because I did something really good for myself yesterday. Mm -hmm. And what can I do today to help it repair faster. Like, oh, I'm going to get a really good night's sleep. I'm going to drink some extra water or try to eat a really healthy meal today. Um, You know, this whole, uh, you know, like the whole problem or whatever felt like a problem initially, now you've just like completely shifted the whole thing just by changing the way you look at it Mm -hmm. and changing your relationship with your body. And, you know, you could take it in like yoga and flexibility as well. People are like, oh, I'm not flexible enough for yoga. Mm -hmm. Well, rather than, you know, making this assumption about your body, which is untrue because everyone's body has just as much ability to become flexible or not that you shift your thinking and your decision that you're not flexible enough to like, okay, what can I do to help myself become more flexible? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I'm going to stretch more. I'm going to do more yoga. I'm going to, you know, whatever, move into these just kind of practices that support myself rather than always feeling like I'm working against myself.
0: Mm -hmm. I I love this so much because a light bulb literally went off, which I think is I mean it's a huge testament that yoga instructors they always say the teacher becomes a student the student becomes a teacher and I always had like some struggle with that because that meant that someone had more information than the other and that that was like kind of this power play of like exchange and but I really feel this way right now because like you teach holistic health and when I was talking about like shifting the perspective of soreness, I hadn't really even thought about the body positive movement. Like, and um, my husband and I will come home and we'll, like, talk about our bodies in a way that is limited. Like, Mm. we'll be like, oh, my gosh, like, this happened. Like, I feel sluggish or blah, 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 blah. And you're absolutely right. Like, it takes me to to shift, like, that what did I do well that my body enabled me to do?
3: Mm. And
0: so it's, like, because I'm, like, how do I manifest that into like um, others around me feeling body positive like it's it's not like me being like well you should you should really be thankful that you have a body because some people's bodies like are are handicapped or something you know like that's how I was raised I was raised with kind of like that like guilt mongering of like me Mm. being like you should be thankful for what you have and then it made me feel like the act of being grateful or thankful was just like really self-invested does that make sense like it's like it didn't feel like it came from a wholesome place, but, but what you're saying is like very much like this wholesome place. It's not being like, you should be thankful. It's like really thinking about what is enabling versus what is not enabling, Mm -hmm. you know? So I was like, Whoa, (laughs) I mean, I am, I myself do that, you Mm -hmm. know? And I don't think that enough people, A, talk about it especially instructors, you know, being, like, oh, I'm self-critical in ways that I, I like, think, oh, I, I need to do this to get this, but instead of thinking of, like, oh, you know, from my mental health perspective, it would be really great if I went for a walk, and then that walk leads to, like, me getting muscle memory and soreness in my legs that helps me, like, feel body positive. Like, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? It's, like, yeah. but some people really want a quick step or, like, go through the fast lane of the checkout lane of just being like, nope, this is, like, I just want to get from, like, I am who I am and I should be body positive because just take me or leave me. Mm-hmm. And they don't, like, kind of see, like, this whole cycle involved of being, like, it's work.
1: We'd like to briefly interrupt this interview to remind you that this podcast was made possible by listeners just like you. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash where you can watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. Plus, you'll gain access to over 500 videos of exclusive content, including premium courses and behind-the-scenes peeks. Help us keep this information free by visiting patreon.com slash That's patreon.com slash p-s-y-c-h-e-t-r-u-t-h.
2: You know, I, I think body image, man, that could be a whole other topic because oh, right. that is like really at the crux of everything. You know, people, you know, feel either like shame and guilt about the body or like you when I think what you said a second ago was like, um, like the mental limitations or whatever. Like we have these limitations in our mind like, oh, well, I don't have strong quads so I can never be a runner. Right. Or I don't have you know, this thing. So I couldn't do that. You know, we just have all of these like kind of mental limitations and we're inflicting on ourselves. I
0: like yeah. that. Yeah. Like play over in our head. It's like, yeah. like, no, that. that doesn't have to be the case. Mm -hmm. Like but then that like gets into this huge metaphysical context of like being like encapsulated when I like talk about freedom. Like sometimes people like the cages that they're in because then that that means they don't have to open themselves up to change. Does that make sense? Yeah. So by being like, okay, I'm okay with that storyline because I don't really want to get out anyway like and having that rationalization support this limited behavior Mm -hmm. and then being like well that's everybody else's problem everybody else has it way easier than i do like that's like that really i never really had like thought about how it spawns nor how it continues Mm. and i see it in myself a lot right and i see it in others so it's like it's just a lot to think about. <laughs> anyway, so right.
2: Well, I think it's interesting that, you know, you could then ask, well, like, how do we extinguish these, like, negative thoughts that we have about ourselves and negative emotions that we have and these kind of judgments or decisions that we've made about ourselves? Uh, and I think coming back to yoga, you know, it, it's one of those practices that as you do it, you build so much confidence in it because you're able to see like, okay, the very first time you like put on a yoga video and you start doing it and they're like, okay, come into your downward dog. I mean, the first time you do downward dog and they're like, okay, this is supposed to be a restful pose. You're like, what <laughs>
0: yes, I
2: what that. are you kidding? I like, remember. what are you talking about? It feels so awkward and so strange. Yes. Um, and then like the more that you do it, the more that you do it, then you're like, Oh Yeah. I do feel it and it feels so good. And, and you, so, you know, A, you're, start, you're starting to, you know, build that muscle memory and that kind of confidence that comes from feeling more comfortable in the movement. Um, one of the things that's really interesting, they say uh, from a psychological perspective that humans are more likely to choose unhappiness than the unknown, So, like, you're more likely to say, oh, I'm just not flexible enough to do yoga, and I'm just going to accept that I'm always going to be inflexible, and I'm always going to be unfit, and I'm always going to be whatever, rather than, like, potentially going out of your comfort zone enough to try something new that could actually, like, help all those things. I think in weight loss, it's another, you know, you can see that as well. Like, people are like, yeah, well, I'm just going to accept being overweight. And accept myself, you know, having these like unhealthy habits and doing these unhealthy things because it actually feels more comfortable to just stay unhappy than to try something new or than to, you know, go out of the comfort zone or whatever.
0: Do you think that's like tied to what people find comfort in familiarity?
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, because there was this article that was talking about successful marriages, and they said that love is a construct that we as humans have created. We definitely can feel it energetically if it's there, if it's not, but that we gravitate towards examples and pillars of what we're familiar with, with the constructs of the marriages that we know to be true that we've surrounded ourselves with like Mm -hmm. so we gravitate towards relationships that are familiar to us that are a like our own or like our families that we grew up in or like because it's familiar not Mm. necessarily because there's like a feeling associated to it so because i when you were saying this i'm like how what is an example of that like and i think it is just about like in discontentment at least you know what you're playing against Mm
3: -hmm.
0: but with openness it's like it's like an open field and you can be shot at and like we as humans are self-preservating you know like so it's like yeah uh so I mean like I understand I also just feel that I'm I kind of like to put I like to flip things on its head Mm -hmm. and I like to like decompress and also decompress like deconstruct what things are so from my perspective like it comes very easily for me to try new things because I want to formulate my own personal opinions about them Mm. um and that's why I think like some people could look at me and a lot of people like myself as inconsistent but it's usually just a discovery thing yeah like where we're just like well, how does this work, and why does it work this way? And have I gathered enough information to where it can be real for me? Mm-hmm. Um, like you said with the downward dog example, totally. I remember feeling like, I A, I don't think I'm doing this right. B, this is like, it does not feel good on my back hamstrings or the back of my legs. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that, that needed to get flexible, and I needed to breathe. Like, I learned all of the things that needed to happen with it for me to actually feel like an actual pose. Mm-hmm. But, like... I think it just takes starting or beginning, and people are very hesitant from, from doing that. Right.
2: And I think that, you know, that fear of the unfamiliar, that fear of something new, I mean, that's probably the main reason for people feeling discontented and unhappy, you know, because they're not willing to you know, look outside of their lives or what's familiar to them to try and find something that makes them happy. I think most people are probably wouldn't say like, oh yeah, I love trying new things. I think most of us, you know, we kind of get stuck in our habits. We get stuck in the things that are comfortable. um, And sometimes that means we get stuck in like feeling stressed all the time or feeling that kind of general level of, you know, discontentedness, you know, thinking about that uh, you know, not flexible enough for yoga or, like, the first time you're in a in a certain yoga pose, I think so much of that, you know, it, com- it comes rising up to the surface because you're thinking, like, you're saying, I'm not flexible enough for this, I'm not doing this right, da-da-da-da-da. But then by coming up into that, like, confrontational situation and then going, like, okay, well, what do I do to... And, like to make myself better at this or whatever so taking a deep breath i always think about the the yoga cue of relaxing your face mm-hmm. because i'll notice that you know if i go into kind of a difficult pose or stretch and it's feeling intense uh yeah you, you you're kind of like gritting your teeth you're like making some funny face and you just and when they give that cue relax your face almost always i'll notice that like my face isn't relaxed at all and then I'm like, okay, I'm gonna relax my face. I'm gonna like breathe deeply and like always notice I'm furrowing my eyebrows and stuff. So like that's a big one for me, and I think about that all the time now. Like relax your face, Karina. And almost every time, whether it's traffic or grocery store or whatever, almost always notice that I'm either like kind of gritting my teeth or I'm furrowing my eyebrow, and I'm just try to remember, like, you know, if if you can find some comfort. In that, you know, uh, uncomfortable pose or uncomfortable situation, then you've grown your strength at being able to handle a stressful situation or being able to confront something unfamiliar. And then the cool thing about yoga is that the more that you do it and it becomes more and more familiar and it feels better and better. And you become so confident and like, wow, I had no idea I was this flexible. I had no idea I was this strong. Right. You know, um, you start to to realize that like all of those little decisions you had made about yourself were just wrong. Yes. Like you are flexible enough. You are strong enough. And, you know, it was just kind of being daring enough to come out of your comfort zone a little bit mm-hmm. that like allowed you to open up Mm -hmm. all of those different like amazing things that you become, or maybe it's just, um, you know, finally we kind of used, used this analogy in a, in a different podcast. I think about like just like shining a light on all of those things. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it's not that the flexibility or the strength wasn't there. I just hadn't turned the light on yet to be able to see it.
0: Right. I love this because it's like, we unpacked all of like, kind of the first initial hesitations towards doing something new and that doesn't have to be about yoga it has to be about anything like Mm. i mean i could give you examples of like i get really ingrained and habitual of like kind of being this uh, pixie manic like wonder lusty kind of woman who like hasn't really been defined in my career because i don't want to be nailed down or labeled and that's like Something that I'm leveling with, like the same way that you level with your own limitations of physical or body associations in yoga. I feel like there's a lot of emotional things that we just like unpacked here that I'm like, oh, I need to try new approaches and like pivot (laughs) a little. And I think that I'm this really physically flexible person, but sometimes I don't feel that I am in practice of application in real life. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't, I don't think many people, A, know that, but then maybe as I'm saying it, they're like, me neither, you know, like like, (laughs) maybe I'm flexible, but like other ways I'm not, or maybe Mm -hmm. it's the reverse. Maybe you're super flexible and like knowing that you can change on a dime and be okay with it, but then physically you're not. And then it's like, now you just have a pathway that you can venture down, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that really is, like, the whole goal of yoga, you know, is, like, helping you, uh, like, un- uncover who you are underneath, you know? Yeah. It's almost like, you know, think about a, an onion or whatever. And you're, like, peeling away the layers. And the more that you have this, like, physical awareness and emotional awareness and you start just being able to notice, like, wow, why did I why, – why have I been telling myself my whole life? that I'm not coordinated enough. I mean, this is something I say a lot, people, because I'm tall, so people be like, oh yeah, do you play basketball or volleyball? And I would say, oh, I'm not coordinated enough, I play guitar. And, but I started realizing so
0: coordination. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well and it, and it's funny, right? Because you know, I like had made this decision about myself that like I'm not coordinate coordinated enough to play sports because I had some like negative experiences in in elementary school, like track and field day, okay, like and so I started, you know really being like, okay, so where did I first start believing that I wasn't coordinated? Or that I couldn't play sports or that I wasn't good at this. Like, wow, it was track and field day and as a kindergartner when I started crying because I didn't want to go down the fireman's pole. I was, like, so scared. But anyways, and then, like, this one little experience that lived with me my whole life.
0: Told you who you were. And
2: told me, yeah, and told me that, like, I'm not strong enough. I'm not coordinated. I'm, not, I'm just not a physical physical activity person. And I just, it was, like, when I started shining the light on those thoughts and realizing where they came from, I was, like, oh, wait a second. Like, maybe I can do some of these things. And I started playing tennis, and I'm not, like, great at tennis, but I have so much fun with it. And I'm like, wow, maybe I actually am kind of coordinated. Yes. Like, who freaking knew? <laughs> I guess,
0: but like, I, find this, I find this whole thing to be very fascinating because your limitations derive actually from your fear. Mm-hmm. But then I'm sure that there have been times in your life where you've taken data points to support that storyline from other people. Yeah. But, like, I can't envision, like, I mean – my whole life, people have been like, you're a social butterfly, you're an extrovert. But I don't feel fueled necessarily by a lot of people. Mm. In fact, I have a lot of anxiety being around a lot of people. I find it depleting, and I feel that uh, that everybody expects something from me. So I, I like actually have visions where it's like they're reaching up, like stealing part of my energy, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and so like, people have programmed me to be like, This is who you need to be. You need to be out in the the sphere of a bunch of people to be seen. And, like, you're an extrovert. That's who you are. But, like, deep in my knowing, I feel like I'm an introvert in the sense that, like, I refuel by being by less, by around less people. But that, like, that, like, some people be like, that's not harming to you. But it's just, like, at the same time, it's, like, I'm not doing what everybody thinks I should be doing. And that can be very damaging to me. Like, Mm -hmm. because then I'm, like...
2: Because you're a people pleaser. Yes. Too, yeah. You know?
0: And so it's like, oh, but like, I just, just by like talking about it to you, I uncovered something that like was inflicted by other people. And, mm-hmm. that, and sometimes that's not always positive. Right. You know, like um, people telling people that they're limited all the time, like bullying is a really big case and like allowing that to be the narrative of your life is like really sad and scary. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> like, there's a lot to be derived from everything that we've kind of talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: I think that, you know, to, to kind of pull it back in, we're talking about, you know, yeah. things that we wish we would have known. Oh, yes. <laughs> we started doing yoga. Um, I mean, I think that the emotional, the emotional catharsis, you know, that comes from those physical activities is is really huge. I think one of the biggest things that I learned was how you know how much our um you know brain really does dictate <laughs> our physical abilities, you know so we've kind of talked about that in a lot of ways here, but like from a just like nervous system perspective. When you're going into a challenging pose or trying to do the splits or whatever, something that, you know, is kind of scary, it's kind of new, and you probably have somewhere in your, like, mental Rolodex this thought that, like, I can't do the splits. I'm not flexible enough for this. And in, you know, so then, like, in the physical moment you're in the pose or whatever, like, the only way for you to actually you know, be able to sink into it a little bit deeper or be able to relax your face and and take a deep breath in that pose is actually by, you know, helping your, your nervous system to relax. And actually all of those fears and thoughts and preconceived notions are just telling your nervous system to, like, keep firing and, like, we keep talking about, like, self-preservation. Like, the whole reason that our muscles feel tight in the first place is that they're they're just trying to protect themselves, Mm -hmm. you know, so they feel, like, too scared to let go Mm -hmm. or whatever. So then through the breathing deeply and through the intention of trying to relax into the posture or find a state of like peacefulness in a kind of difficult pose or maybe it's awkward pose and it just feels awkward to you um that actually like you need your nervous system to relax so letting go of all those little preconceived notions and all those little fears and just letting your you know, your breath down-regulate your nervous system and get you out of the fight or flight, well then suddenly the muscles like literally feel like they're unlocking or they're unleashing and then you like sink a little deeper into the pose. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm actually doing the splits or whatever the thing is. And then it's like a positive feedback loop in that way because then every tiny little step that you make towards improving yourself or seeing yourself advancing or getting stronger or whatever becomes the impetus for you to be like, wow, I'm going to come back and do this again tomorrow. Or what if I, you know, tried this other pose that I wasn't comfortable with? Um, You mentioned a, a little while ago about like asking this question of how do, you know, Olympians, like gold medal Olympians or whatever, like get to where they're at. And what's the difference between, you know, like a gold medalist and you know the people who maybe like never make it to the Olympics or whatever? And interestingly enough, it's like coming face to face with your fears, mm-hmm. you know. So for instance, uh, you know, um, you could in practicing music and stuff, this comes up comes up a lot. Um, they'll be like, well, practice the things that you're not good at. Because we feel, you know, we gravitate towards like, oh, I'm going to do the poses that I feel comfortable in, that I feel like I'm good at. Mm -hmm. And then like all the things that we don't really feel that comfortable in, we don't practice them. Mm -hmm. So in music, it's always this thing where I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm just want to like, I'm I'm really good at this thing. Like, I want to practice this. They're like, okay, that's fine. But now you need to practice the, the rhythm that you're really bad at, you know? And so actually challenging yourself to practice the things that you are fearful about mm-hmm. and practice the things that do feel challenging is actually where you are able to have all of these major breakthroughs. And I think from a, like, athletic perspective, Olympians and stuff, that's one of the things that they, you know, approach in their practice. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, but you're going to have to practice the things you're bad at and not just only practice the things you're good at. It's Mm -hmm. like forcing you to come out of your comfort zone in order to move forward and like unlock all of these other strengths or abilities that maybe you didn't realize you had before. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. And I think that this is so helpful because you're absolutely right. It's almost like we want to champion the things that we're really good at because I think For me, I always want to put my best foot forward. Mm -hmm. And as you were also describing, I felt that there were these, like, levels. And I can outright say that most things I start, I do well at. Mm -hmm. And so I remember when I started yoga, it came very naturally to me. And pigeon pose in fact, was something that I really hated. And then I like kind of took some breaks from it by not doing it as intensely, because mm-hmm. I was just like, I'm, I can never get it right. And then when I came back to to my mat, after I'd taken a break from it, I was able to do it just fine. I don't mm-hmm. know what had happened. Maybe I no longer was afraid of it, but mm-hmm. it just, I was able to do it, and I like began to love it. And then when I teach it in my classes, I say, not to set any preconceived notions of this pose, however, this was the most challenging one for me because it seems a lot of people it comes very like simple, too, or like they, they get into it just fine. But I was like, it took me a long, long time, and so that just also demonstrates that everybody's body is different mm-hmm. because we hold things differently, yeah. But I just also saw kind of too that you're right. We as humans, I think, love to pick the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. And I, being good at things, have always had a hard time picking one and sticking to it. And I always come up with reasons why I shouldn't. Because I say, well, I don't want to limit myself from being able to choose. And I also don't want people to identify me as that one thing because they're going to derive what they think of that thing instead of it being who I am. And then it's, like, all this gray that I live in, like, a lot. And so just by, like, hearing it from you, and it's, and this is a testament, too, that sometimes we need the information that is provided, but we don't like how it's delivered until someone tells us, like, in this very neutral, objective way, like, this is what I've been, like, thinking, and this is what my experience has been, and from you saying this thing, this is what I think, and it's like, like, I don't think that there's enough exchanges like this. Mm -hmm. Like in life where people just sit down and talk about like their experiences because I've been told my whole life from like my family and friends that like I should just pick something and do it and do it well. But I've been so afraid to, Mm -hmm. but then by you being like, oh, I've been afraid to like play tennis or basketball because I like to stick to guitar. And then my, my safety net is doing all the things. Right. Because I want to be diverse and represent diversity. But it's really good practice to start doing things that seem so very frightening.
2: Mm-hmm. And maybe even just by noticing the things that make us fear, uh, feel fearful um, or feel apprehensive or feel just, you know, scared of. For, for lack of a better term um, that like maybe that can in turn kind of be an indicator of the things that you I mean, should nothing. try, you know, yes. um, that like those very things that we feel the most apprehension about c- could potentially be the things that we need the most. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you were saying in- initially about yeah. like yoga. Like you were like, oh man, I never want to just like go and sit and listen to a singing bowl for right. an hour. And okay. now you're like, well, the restorative yin yoga is like where it's it. at for me the most. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I think that's, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so I have like a lot of things to process, I think, because I, I, not to say that all of my limitations have been built by me, but that there's some gratification of going towards discomfort
3: Mm -hmm.
0: and applying all the tools that we learned of breathing and um the amygdala response of not fight or flight and if you do then that's okay at least you know where your limitation is now in the moment but then you Mm -hmm. can always come back to it instead of avoidance or burying you know right and um then that also like touches on like this theory that we have Four individuals whether they're like fictitious or non-fiction um all different ages living inside of us and it's a car of our like psyche and each person has different time that they're driving Mm. and so like when you meet that fear a lot of times our like infantile selves are like you know below five years old self comes out and we like have something some memory associated to that time Mm -hmm. but then it's like really being smart about, like, okay, I'm going to put the driver's seat of my, like, more rational higher self to know that, like, it's okay. I can come back to it when I need to. Like, self-parenting to yourself is, like, really important. Mm -hmm. So I think, like, yeah, that's, like, another thing that yoga I didn't know about before yoga, which I'm, like, I can see all the time. Right. And then that gives grace to other people around you when you realize, like, who's really leading your personality right now is, like, I, I... discuss this with my husband all the time like is it your three-year-old self that needs to be fed that needs to sleep that like like that's why you're angry like really this other thing that's not why you're angry like is that what's happening and then you can kind of peel back the onion and realize that we all have that Mm -hmm. you know so then that gives a lot more compassion and grace to other people and yourself right like oh okay how do I take all this one step at a time Live in the moment, be nice to people mm-hmm. or understanding at least, and you know, how do I approach yoga with that same way that I would approach any new activity? Right, by not wanting to be like a perfectionist at it, mm hmm, and then taking it one step at a time,
3: right?
2: Yeah, and I think that yoga really does teach you how to. You know, notice – I love the little analogy of, like, in your mind, you've got four different people driving the car, and it's either, like, your, like, animal instincts and your fears, or it's, like, your – the child in you or whatever that, you know, like, when you're hangry, mm-hmm. you're too hungry, you know? It's, like, the the little – Child in you starts driving the car, and then you're like angry, and you're this, and whatever. Um, And so, like yoga in a way, it kind of helps me like notice: is it that like fearful child that's suddenly driving? And I think a lot of times when you go into those like difficult poses, it is. It's that like really scared little child that comes out, and then you're like, okay, so I'm going to use some deep breaths. And I'm going to try and let my rational conscious mind come in here. Like I know that I'm doing this pose that like, I don't have any like true physical limitation preventing me from doing this. Mm -hmm. I just have to like, stop letting all of my fear, like put me in this like huge state of stress that like now the pure stress and physical tension that's resulted from it is going to prevent me from being able to Like do it or whatever.
0: Right. The self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. But so, yep.
2: So, Julia, in kind of wrapping up this podcast, you know, you talked at the beginning about uh, like the different styles of yoga, Mm -hmm. almost like the different styles of cuisine Mm -hmm. and how you wouldn't try one type of food. And if you didn't like it, be like, oh, I just hate food never going to eat food again. Um so on that note, could you just maybe like flesh out a little bit of the different styles of yoga and maybe for, you know, people who are you know curious or looking into it, that can kind of help them figure out like, well, which type of yoga or which type of class would be best for them.
0: Absolutely, I can try my best. There are quite a few, mm-hmm. but I will go over probably the four most familiar and popular in the cities that I've lived in Mm -hmm. so you have Bikram that was started by Bikram and I don't know his last name but begins with a ch and I would totally butcher it but he was the one that had the different styles the 26 postures or 24 I can't remember but it's in the heated room mm-hmm. and then some people have derived hot yoga from that so hot yoga has become a terminology to where anytime the space or the yoga studio is heated uh, it can be anywhere from like 80 degrees to 100 um, but then some people go to a hot yoga studio and they have vinyasa or hatha yoga and vinyasa and hatha is just that combination of standing series to floor series Mm -hmm. and sometimes there's a peak pose which could be an inversion and an inversion is just any time that you get your head below your heart and that has therapeutic benefits because you're just slowing down the circulatory system and allowing people to see kind of what their natural animalistic instinct is and to Mm. encourage breathing because it sounds counterintuitive to breathe while you're upside down, but it helps blood flow and it helps red blood cell count. It helps sleeping. It helps almost anything that you could possibly think of that ails you, but we'll get into that later. Then you have the more yin and the restorative styles, and those are where you're very rarely up on your feet, and they, they really encourage getting your feet above your head too, but in a very soft and gentle way right. so that you can work on the fascic tissue that resides in your body. Then from all of those, there's, like, Ilingar, which is a, a certain, per, like, um, individual who started a different channel of yoga that is very, like, based in, like, Vinyasa and Hatha, and I'm not quite familiar with that, so that's another lesson about what I thought before yoga is that all yoga instructors knew everything about yoga, and then <laughs> and there's uh, forest yoga as well, and... Then there are different types, like, you can read on class styles, like candlelit yoga, which could be that all the lights are low and you're just doing yoga from a leader or instructor, which is candles. There's a whole bunch of different types. Yeah. So, I mean, I hopefully I illustrated kind of, like, the channels. Mm-hmm. Vinyasa and Hatha are, like, 50-50 standing, 50-50, or a little bit less, on the floor. Bikram is... The same, but it's heated and the same 26 postures. Then restorative in yin on the the floor, on the ground a lot. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. And then what about power yoga? Do you know very much
2: about power yoga?
0: Power yoga yoga would be a subgroup of vinyasa or hatha, but it can be heated too. Sometimes it's heated, sometimes it's not. But it is a lot more of holding the poses Mm -hmm. and it is a lot of the more aggressive power, not aggressive, but I would say lengthening strength building postures.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So I, like when I think of power, I think of maybe you have weights when you outreach your arm and warrior and you have to hold and stabilize your shoulder muscle groups very much, um, more of like the muscle building. Right. Whereas everything in yoga, like can be kind of very similar to Pilates of lengthening and working smaller muscle groups so that you can tone and you can build just muscle and anatomy awareness. Mm -hmm. Like, like just from like pulling your belly button into your back and then realizing like where to breathe and how to breathe, especially like in downward dog, those things are like what you learn in each of those yoga classes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Julia, I just want to thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. And I feel like there are um, so many more topics for us to delve into. So I'm really, really excited yes. uh, to keep chatting with you. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Yes, and
0: thank you so much for having me.
2: Definitely. Yes. I want to thank all of you for tuning in to the Wellness Plus podcast. Remember that you can find video versions of these podcasts over on wellnessplus.tv. So I hope you will check us out there. And for all of you watching, thank you for being a part of the Wellness Plus family. Can't wait to see you in the next video.
1: The Wellness Plus podcast. Copyright 2018. Target Public Media, LLC. All rights reserved.